0: I believe there is a number, something akin to over 350 government organizations going back in recent years, had been hit by a ransomware event.
1: You're listening to the Rain Insights podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. In today's conversation, our host David Lawrence speaks to Jeff Brown, the head of New York City Cyber Command. Their conversation covers cybersecurity awareness and how organizations, public or private can protect themselves from threat actors before, during, and after an attack.
2: Jeff, it's a great privilege and honor just by way of introduction, brief introduction. Uh, Jeff, most in his most recent position, led the Cyber Command Center for the City of New York for almost six years uh, with a new mayor coming in. Uh, Jeff um, has been very much involved with a transition, uh, a seamless transition, hopefully, and will be going on to do other things, uh, good point or inflection point in his career. Uh, previously, Jeff um, worked with uh, one of the leading intelligence agencies on behalf of the U.S. government and also was involved in our financial sector in leading uh, Cybersecurity requirements. So he comes to this podcast with a wide breadth of experience. And Jeff, maybe just to be helpful, uh, I was very excited to see the announcement uh, that you'll be continuing in public service uh, at the Monterey Institute, where you'll be involved in thought leadership efforts. There, maybe just briefly, uh, would love to hear a little bit about your next venture, and then we'll get into. Uh, Some of the lessons learned in leading cybersecurity for New York City and uh, some of the lessons that, you know, our audience can begin to apply.
0: So thank you for having me today, David, to speak with you. I always enjoy the opportunities to interact with Rain as a community. I really do respect the mission to help institutions make better decisions, really and understand the totality of the risk landscape in front of them. That's what draws me uh, as I close this chapter professionally with you know a great sort of sense of you know, excitement for what we've been able to accomplish on the critical mission of cybersecurity on behalf of New Yorkers, uh, but also with excitement for the future because at the Monterey, at Monterey it's the Middlebury Institute for International Studies at Monterey. At the Institute itself, the focus is sort of across the spectrum of various sort of global drivers that can influence the safety, well-being, security, resiliency, economic security of sort of our global um, ecosystem. And I'll be representing and helping the sort of the students there think about cybersecurity within that global context. It's exciting to me too, because the institute itself is a place that, you know, d- drives for their students to be participants in you know that global ecosystem. In fact, um, the institute's slogan itself is something like, you know, um, is something like, you know, we'll teach you how to change the world, and that's that's something that each one of us, I think, playing our own part can do. So it'll be fun for me uh, to be a participant with them, with that sort of, uh, with that bold goal to accomplish.
2: And I think it's a great testament, Jeff, that you were actually recruited and have been recruited by a wide variety of institutes. So I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Let's uh, jump into it. Six years managing basically cyber threats uh, on behalf of the city of New York. Uh, and through an environment in which various cities um, and we'll call it agencies were under attack, many of which were attacked successfully. And maybe you could start by giving us a little bit of a summation of what you've learned over six years about the current landscape of threats and sort of the takeaways.
0: Yeah, to a certain extent, you know, I think when I look back at the journey of NYC Cyber Command, the focus really began before NYC Cyber Command was even stood up with the realization in the de Blasio administration and at the highest echelons of the administration that the city itself in its sacred contract with New Yorkers, and that really is visitors and businesses as well as, of course, residents across the five borough, has always recognized its role, its duty, its almost sacred contract to provide core services, things like shelter, you know, wo- clean water, and the ability to, for food and transportation, but of course, you know, public safety. And you know, as we look across the most recent decades, safety also involves the safety of the digital space, you know, the digital life of New York City, the digital life of New Yorkers. Um, So many services that a New Yorker relies on are provided by incredible agencies that are staffed with absolutely dedicated public uh, servants. And those services, many times, though they involve person-to-person interactions, incredible interactions, but they're backed by technology. They're delivered digitally. And it is you know that recognition years and years ago that those services needed to be protected that really was the impetus that began the journey to NYC Cyber Command. And so the mayor in 2017 penned Executive Order 28, which created NYC Cyber Command and gave it its duties, its authorities, its responsibilities. Really, to provide for two key things, you know, the enterprise defense, which to me is defending those services delivered to New Yorkers, enabled through technology each and every day, um, those 100-plus offices, departments, and agencies and their environments, but then also bring cybersecurity to New Yorkers in ways that respect the values of of our city, things like privacy. Uh, All of this is really aiming towards a vision that, just like in so many other important disciplines, the city be resilient. And for us that means being digitally resilient, cyber resilient against the threats we face. So one of the things that I'm the most proud of and most excited about seeing flourish is this sort of organism that is NYC Cyber Command that began with only a few and now has many. And that many knows that it's as important what we achieve for New it's as important what we achieve for New Yorkers as how we achieve that thing. So the culture of the organization is one that I'm really proud of because they know how, they, that expectation of how you go about reaching the objective, not just that the objective itself is what counts. And I think New Yorkers would be proud of that.
2: Indeed, Jeff. And uh, one of the reasons why I think we're fortunate to be able to do this podcast with you is that because of um, your role in New York City, you really saw the whole spectrum of risks and because New York is an attractive target um, it is the financial capital of the world so a lot of people say uh, the interconnectivity of city government not only with its myriad agencies and the diverse populations that it has to serve but also its connectivity with various private sector enterprises uh, led to uh, I would view as as complete a threat spectrum as one would have and if if you could perhaps maybe outline the issues and threats that you had to consider and you know that cyber Command will have to consider going forward in the future not not simply from criminals and I'll call it mischievous and people who are interested in uh, disrupting various uh, operations of the city of New York, you know, whether it's for money or for the amusement, but also state actors and state-sponsored groups, many of whom have successfully launched very, very sophisticated uh, attacks against leading corporations, uh, leading government agencies, and obviously cities such as Atlanta, Georgia. sort of what can you share with the audience about the spectrum of threats and uh, the types of things that New York City had to contend with? And I think, you know, just sort of to make the point a little bit clearer, uh, one of the benefits of having you on this podcast is that uh, because of your vantage point within New York, uh, you're uniquely positioned to explain the threat environment to many of our members who are in the private sector, as well as other government agencies.
0: Sure. So I think it's really important to always keep in mind a point that I know the Rain network has made many times, which is, you know, cybersecurity needs to keep in mind that the types of threats we face are age old, you know, theft, disruption, maybe even destruction, espionage, I've heard many times, David, you and other right, other RAIM podcasts and venues, that sort of foundational step uh, realization. And of course, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think when you think about the impact of cybersecurity events, there is a trajectory, of course, um, and to me, the trajectory could at a very high level be espionage and theft towards operational disruption, and then the combination perhaps of the two. And I think that's important to think about in a municipal setting, especially as enterprises engage with government structures. Um, and that's because to a certain extent, you know, there is a quantification of espionage and theft Um, And of course that's important and as a driving factor for many enterprise defense environments an incredibly uh, key driving factor. In a municipality, so sometimes we have to keep in mind that the rubber really hits the road with some of the types of unfortunately operationally impactful cybersecurity incidents that we witnessed across municipal landscapes. I believe there is a number, something akin to over 350 government organizations going back in recent years had been hit by a ransomware event. When you think about that, it is of course extortion, which like other types of adversary agendas perhaps, is age old. You know, there's nothing necessarily new about extortion, but to be able to extort a government and a government services that could be impactful for mission sets like public safety or health um, is sobering. And as I think about how I've witnessed New York City react to various sort of significant events in recent memory during my time in NYC Cyber Command, I think about cybersecurity through that lens. So we've all of course continued to contend with the pandemic and in that lens of course the cybersecurity that is allows for this you know the ongoing health services response to the pandemic is essential um you know i would of course argue as i've seen impact across different municipalities that ransom events at say for instance police departments or nine that impacts in some in some cases 911 services these are th- these are critical services so the mindset of the defender uh that mission set uh revolves in many ways around trying to manage towards those outcomes and those outcomes can't necessarily from a traditional enterprise risk arbitrage perspective, be successfully contended with in an after event, you know, shifting of financial liability uh, with those levers. There isn't a sort of insurance policy or a financial liability shift after an impact to a health services organization that is that is that that is sort of appropriate to point to when you're talking about, you know, serving the public, a New Yorker who might be impacted by that event. It doesn't mean that it's a zero-sum game where all we can do is be successful each and every day, 100% in the defensive mission. It just informs how we think about an all-source approach to the response and how we prepare for the eventuality of those types of events impacting our city. I think it informs the way that you brief to sort of the upper echelon of the executives about consequence management, et cetera. You know, this isn't, you know, we've t- said in many for many years, cybersecurity is a boardroom issue. And of course it is, and it should be, um, but the types of levers that need to be pulled from a government perspective to assure for the criticality of the services provided to a constituency has a different lens perhaps Uh, but an informative lens to our enterprise uh, peers, friends in the the industry. Does that make sense?
2: It makes a great deal of sense, Jeff. As you are now transitioning, and um, you'll be working with Monterey and I'm sure other organizations to share some of the lessons, if I were to invite you, because we're doing this podcast in further support of our efforts with NASDAQ, If I were to invite you to join the board of my recently public company, and I said, Jeff, in light of the threat environment, in light of the fact that some of the most sophisticated companies and government agencies have been hit, and because the protection of my data and my business, the confidence of my various stakeholders, including my customers and clients, is at stake. Uh, I'm inviting you on the board to help me think through this issue, not just in terms of prevention, but in terms of response and maintaining resiliency. Tell me how you might most productively spend the next 30 to 60 days in advising me.
0: I think a big piece of that would be governance. And by governance, really the essential question is who has the authority to make executive decisions that are of the utmost consequence to the business critical here is perhaps a different type of question which is say for instance it's a chief executive officer officer or the president of the of the company, like who do those individuals want to delegate decisions that could be quite literally the life and death decisions of the company to. Of course, there's enterprise risk management, uh, and they're very mature models for enterprise risk management. And I might forward that. In those mature models, it's recognized that cybersecurity as a horizontal operational component needs to be treated vertically independently as a risk factor so that you can make a decision as an enterprise executive, aligning your business objectives with your technology strategy, with your technology operational risk with your physical security, your crisis management, your communications, your legal risk, uh, align cybersecurity in that paradigm where you're making, where you're allowing for the representative executive of each of those disciplines to forward on behalf of their discipline. I think that in many ways is an enterprise risk model. That most organizations are moving towards and to me is appropriate considering where cybersecurity can impact across all of those other pillars of an organization, but with that said, you know, I think it needs to be discussed and not and every enterprise will look at this differently, of course, especially from a global footprint, but it does need to be discussed using this word that's very important in industry. I know it's gotten a little bit trendy, but I think to a certain extent it deserves the trend. But the word of course is resiliency. In a global landscape where various factors are pushing what I might call lightly geopolitical destabilization, especially at the near peer levels, as a global business, or as government structures think globally, You have to say to yourself, cybersecurity can imperil all the things I'm pursuing. And in a landscape where, as I noted, the near peer gamemanship is becoming more and more, perhaps um, red line, cybersecurity is likely to become more of an active landscape, which means a business operating globally needs to think not just of the regulatory uh, in sovereign states and beyond the regulatory environments that cybersecurity pertains to, but also sort of the 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 real the real rubber hits the road of cyber of being a adjacent or a direct target of advanced actions. And that means preparing for the resiliency of not just your business delivery, but the people that your business relies on. So I think that's, that's the lens that I would advise a board to look at this discipline through.
1: We'll return to the conversation in just a moment. RAIN is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. Rain helps businesses prepare for and mitigate risk. Learn more about our cybersecurity offerings at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E networkcom Now let's get back to the conversation.
2: Jeff, so you bring up a very good point about governance, and, and essentially what you're saying is in advance of a crisis, you have to understand who in the organization owns the issue. Um, I'm fond of the expression when everybody owns something, no one owns it. And uh, I've heard you speak about this as not simply a technology issue, but a an issue that implicates obviously technology, but operations, uh, the questions around data privacy and, and various constituents who might be impacted um, the importance of interacting with regulators and law enforcement officials, both in terms of gaining access to, in advance, uh, threat warnings, but also in the event that there is an event knowing what to do. The public relations efforts, uh, particularly for public companies who, that have to communicate to the markets as well as to their various regulators and, uh, as, and internal employees. But also, I call it very much from a business standpoint, Jeff, in trying to understand in advance what assets have to be protected and how best to protect them, and understanding if there is a successful attack, whether it's a ransomware attack, or there's been outright sabotage to the system, or something that has, you know, broadly disrupted access to what a company needs on a day-to-day basis that they have to have the input and there has to be someone who can understand the different moving parts, if I can use that term, both in advance and in response. Am I hearing you correctly? And again, I'm somewhat consolidating um, having listened to you on this topic uh, before and how you've approached uh, risk management for the city.
0: I think that's a great recap, David. I might even add an element, perhaps it's oversimplified, and I say this with sort of the utmost respect to the multi-discipline, multi-hats that senior executives need to wear, executives need to wear in an organization. Um, perhaps the best way to put it is in an event, and many of the events, incidents, and responses are become public at some point. You know, how satisfying is it to know that somewhere in the organization, a arbitrage conversation happened whereby a business owner accepted the cybersecurity risk of their technology deployment? To me, that is not a very satisfying position to be in if you need to communicate to your users, to your clients, or to your constituents that there's been an incident. It's not And that's, I think, sometimes where the discipline of sort of risk waivers, et cetera, has led us a little bit astray. Um, I understand, of course, that you want to have different financial levers to help uh, buttress against a cybersecurity event that has significant financial ramifications but to a certain extent being able like I think that's what the senior executive has to decide will, will you senior executive feel confident in your communications if in fact you have delegated the decision further down into your executive ranks is that going to be a satisfying position for you to be in and to speak to your board about if it's not then you have to think about where where you're how to grow your confidence in the delegation of of those responsibilities and one model to do so is to make sure that there is a fully supported cybersecurity resiliency physical security crisis management you know executive who sort of you have trust in to per, to defend against and prepare for and respond to the uncertainty of our times.
2: I want to press the point a little bit further because we have seen where a lot of the unintended consequences that arise when these attacks occur come from companies not being prepared and very often in their communications to various stakeholders. Their internal staff, their strategic customers and clients, their regulators, their shareholders, the broad public, etc., um, have made things worse by not having a plan in place and not having people who are experienced in this following the lessons that have been learned along the way, unfortunately, by, by other um, situations. And I have um, watched, as you have counseled, um, some of the basic lessons which I want to sort of share with people, which is that in advance, uh, you have to know, have to have the game plan in the event of an attack, with whom do I have to consider communicating, and also the possible media exposure, Um, and whom do I need most importantly around the table to help guide these decisions, because it's not really within the provenance of one person
0: very much so it it takes all the stakeholders to be at the table i think the thing i've advocate for is making sure one of those stakeholders at the table is there specifically to speak towards some of the focused areas that we've discussed you know you can't have you know just be very blunt about it in my perspective based on my experience um and certainly you know Referring to the model that De Blasio administration set up in the city of New York, if, for instance, in the United States, the Biden administration is making sure that cybersecurity is in part in their national security conversation with multiple executives that are focused on cybersecurity, then in a municipality or on behalf of the enterprise, either you want to make sure that you too are treating it at the table with that delegation of focus and what you can't have is a delegation into other disciplines that may deprioritize cybersecurity or cybersecurity journey for other types of business objectives. You you can make that decision, but you don't, I I would advocate not to give that decision to somebody else. You know, for instance, in many organizations, you have the work of cybersecurity being overseen through a lens of the digital strategy or the technology strategy. Um, You know, of course, there's organizations of any shape or size, and they have to make their own corporate decisions. But I certainly advocate for making a business-prioritized decision by looking at the technology strategy, the technology operations in a peer fashion, as looking at your safety, security, cybersecurity, resiliency missions, you know, so that you know the ultimate executive can make a a, a wide lens decision, and not you know and not allow for the deprioritization of this critical um, cybersecurity discipline.
2: The takeaway point is communications matter, being prepared on the communications front is very important, the messenger will matter. And uh, as part of your new board responsibilities, Jeff, on my, on my uh, hypothetical company is you'll be helping us to put that in place uh, over the you know next 30 to 45 days. Um, separately, let me leverage some of the efforts uh, that you undertook on behalf of the city. And I've, I've heard you say this as well, that I won't use a bad word on a podcast, but uh, people will understand, S-H-blank-T happens at the worst possible times and the worst possible moments. And people have to be prepared during so-called downtimes that that this these types of attacks will occur. In fact, the actors often time attacks for holidays and weekends and night times and And maybe you could take a moment just to sort of summarize, since I have you as a board member, but for my management team, the importance of simplicity in thinking through this issue, prevention, response, remediation.
0: Sure, so simplicity is a great concept, I think, and I might say it differently, but with the same intent, and that's do the things you can do. Oftentimes, we look at cybersecurity and the ever-changing, ever-evolving digital ecosystem and say, wow, that is complicated. What the heck are we going to do to solve this? Well, I'm not sure there is a solving this because there hasn't been a solving theft, espionage, extortion, fraud. We haven't solved those things. So we're not going to solve cybersecurity. So, but we should from the take a look at the complexity and do the things we can do. And in some senses, that really is part of the spirit behind the NYC Secure Initiative that you mentioned. It was the city recognizing that there is going to be a continuous, never-ending journey in contending with the threat actor landscape. With that said, we can't wait to have perfection in the defense of a New Yorker's digital space before we implement a plan. So we recognized we need to do something. What did we do? We knew that there were technologies that would enable on a mobile device for threats to be detected. Is it perfect? Can advanced threats work, advanced systems? Of course, but it is a measure of defensiveness if a New Yorker chooses to use it and chooses to follow the guidance that a New Yorker can navigate away from a threat, and that's the mobile app. You can check links on it now and things like that to see if the link that you were sent, uh, the website is valid or is known to be a place where malware drops from or someone, an adversary tries to harvest your credentials. So, that's enabled on the app. And the other thing we did was we recognize that in the places where the city provides free access to the internet, there were things we could do that wouldn't be invasive to a New Yorker's privacy, but things we could do to help keep the New Yorker from inadvertently hitting one of the malicious sites on the internet that's only there to sort of propagate cybersecurity badness, you know, drop malware, harvest credentials, trick you into giving your data. So if that's known, we should do the simple thing, which is implementing a technology where we're doing the important work of providing free public Wi Fi to keep it safer. So let's do to your point, simplicity, you know, I I phrase it slightly different. Uh, Let's do the things that we can do. Now, the other thing I might say to the first part of your question, you know, things happen at the worst time, things do happen at the worst time, you know, as we're recording this podcast. There is a vulnerability um, that is being contended with across the world by technologists and cyber defenders. Uh, that's Glog4J. And and this has been happening. You know, vulnerabilities are discovered and great effort is brought to bear. Oftentimes, of course, on nights and weekends and over holidays to to you know to update systems, to patch systems, to hunt for adversary behavior, to respond if an adversary is trying to leverage the vulnerability this stuff is happening all the time and i think the other perhaps simple thing that organizations can do is make sure that you are investing in your cybersecurity defenders in your technologists in your crisis managers like in those individuals that carry forward the mission you know almost nurturing those individuals because you will rely on those individuals and their efforts at the worst days. You know, these are the people that, you know, to use an old analogy, these are the people that stand watch at the castle gates while the village and the people in the king's court sleep at night. These are your defenders. And if they feel like you're only in touch with them and only fostering their growth and only appreciative of their efforts on the worst days and not investing part and parcel in in that community on the best days, then the question mark will be, will they be there on the worst days?
2: So great point, Jeff. You've also highlighted the fact that there's no silver bullet here and that companies need to have a network of people outside their organizations who can help support from a informational standpoint, response standpoint, Can you give us some guidance about how to think through building a network of appropriate outside resources to support this effort? And certainly as having you as my board member, how we as a company can think through what we need.
0: Certainly. I think there's two main points here. The first is it is a broad ecosystem of, you know, public sector, private sector, non-governmental organizations, academia and research organizations. It's a broad ecosystem of capabilities. And I think any enterprise needs to align, depending on their ability to expend treasure and time and implement uh, and execute. They need to sort of align their efforts into those communities in ways for the benefit of, you know, really the resiliency of their organization. But I use this word resiliency purposefully as the bridge to the second point. So the first point is that it's a broad ecosystem and organizations need to decide where to put their time. The second point is to take a look at your dependencies within that ecosystem. You know, we think oftentimes in these terms we use in industry, third-party risk, supply chain risk and vulnerability. Um, So the key here is in an interconnected digital economy and interconnected global digital marketplace, as we've seen very much in very recent history, as supply chains are impacted because of different types of transportation events globally, et cetera. Um, There is an interconnection point here on behalf of an enterprise. So if you're talking about sort of Acme business, Acme business needs to look to see where their cybersecurity dependencies are outside of Acme business and then follow that chain to make sure that they can have higher confidence in their corporate resiliency. So, you know, you may have exceptional confidence in your cybersecurity program internally, but what happens if that key provider of yours in your supply chain has a cybersecurity event? Or what happens if one of your business partners that you rely on for outreach to your um, to your clients or customers has a cybersecurity event. So in, what I'm saying in the second point is you need to prepare the resiliency of your objectives aligned to your confidence in the resiliency of your dependencies. And those are the types of kind of grander consequence management conversations that I think mature enterprises are having today.
2: For companies that have to think about their, their problems Is this a matter of just being more deeply connected within their industry? Is it about connectivity with, we'll call it, law enforcement and regulators? Is it maybe also just a product of having people who are keeping their ears open and their eyes open and reading and listening and, you know, attending various conferences? Is it a process of maybe getting referrals from their auditors, their law firms, you know, their other advisors?
0: So, I would say to that, like the intelligence of your position in the market and the types of consequences you could contend with, the adversaries that would be looking to cause those consequences can, in fact, drive you towards where you have the most leverage to reduce your risk. For instance, in the journey of NYC Cyber Command, the journey of cybersecurity in New York City, on the enterprise defense side, we understood that you know, intelligence in the landscape, you know, going back, you know, I, I began with the city in 2016, going back even before that, what had shown us that adversaries looked to disrupt services. Because of that, we looked towards partners that would give us at machine speed, the ability to see the computers in the city government and the ability to do something about what was seen at machine speed. So not waiting for an analyst to necessarily make a decision to institute a block or waiting for a new update or a new signature to do a defensive maneuver. We wanted to make sure we had technologies that were actively defending those those assets. So the visibility and the actionability was a tenant. The other tenant is we needed to defend the defenders themselves. And so that enabled us, that realization, that tenant that adversaries would look, the sophisticated adversaries especially, would look to blind the defense, which is not a new realization. That's an age-old sort of tactic in security and military discipline. You know, we could not afford to be blinded. So that led us on a journey to make sure on behalf of NYC Cyber Command defenders, we, uh, we were building an environment that was highly defensible in a resilient way. So that led us towards you know, cloud providers and towards what is now commonly referred to as a zero trust architecture. Finally, the last component and perhaps one that any enterprise will recognize today for their business objectives. It is a data question. Do you have the data? Are you storing the data? Can you analyze the data appropriately in a scalable way, in a way that makes sense for the application of your sort of capital? Are you doing that in a way where you can produce the types of insights that will enable you to identify the adversaries in your environment, either actively or retrospectively, and inform the decisions you're making um, to block and tackle or to respond? And I think those types of central tenants, if identified, then lead you towards the types of partners you need to prioritize, whether that be a cybersecurity vendor partner, a technology partner, a legal partner who can help you articulate your global footprint and the various regulatory environments that could be impactful to your execution on your cybersecurity strategy, you know, insurance partners, advisory or consultancy partners, it leads you to make sure you are creating the right ensemble cast perhaps that can help your internal team execute the mission you've given them but it certainly is an ensemble cast you know it it is only in unbelievably rarefied focused enterprise environments where all of this can be done in-house you know uh, in my uh, i truly believe in the team of teams approach That could also be the invocation of your partnerships with, you know, law enforcement entities in the U.S., if we think, of course, of our federal law enforcement partners. But like, let's pull the lens up globally. Like, does that partnership ecosystem that you're involved in look like? So that if if you are impacted or dealing with an impact, you can play a role. In sort of the collective community defense, which is share the information with the right body that you know will be able to use it in an anonymized way, and, and so that it, it, you can do your part in the community of defenders. So having all these different relationships and making them more than just an email or more than just a phone call in the middle of the night uh, is the underpinning of what I firmly believe is the, the direction organizations need to go in, which is then creating commonality of technical defense structures. And I think that's that, that, that's, a, that, that's a concept that would take us a whole nother hour in a podcast. So I'll pause there. Okay, Jeff, I was gonna our say, that's
2: that's our, ne- that's our next conversation for sure. The importance of understanding what assets need to be protected in terms of a risk assessment and understanding you know, what are the so-called crown jewels, the things that other people might want to disrupt or steal or otherwise sabotage. Maybe you could just take us through what I'll refer to as the self-assessment of looking at one's own assets and recognizing what might be attractive and what really needs to be protected.
0: I think to answer that, there are two components. The first component is in the concept of crown jewels, we have classically thought of it as protecting crown jewels. Well, oftentimes, in my experience, at least, the crown jewels are actually critical to the delivery of the business. So you can't just, you know, do the metaphor of locking them and putting sort of a uh moat around them and maybe placing a dragon on top of them to protect them. That doesn't work because you need them out of the safe to make your business function. So I think the more up to date perspective is assuring that you have the right types of controls um, and then tracing the dependency of that crown jewel capability all the way through the technology and all the dependencies of its functioning technically. But of course, also tracing the dependencies of its functioning from a people and process perspective. And that truly is the journey towards having defensible, safe, resilient environments. The second component, I think, is also taking an all-source view of those initiatives, because it's not just a technology failure or a cybersecurity event that can impact your crown jewels, It is other concepts, it could be, you know, are you looking at, you know, your your footprint from a um, climate or from a, you know, destabilization angle, are you looking at insider threat, are you looking at, uh, what I'm trying to say here is that on the second point, there's more than people processing technology from a technology lens or a cybersecurity lens that needs to be examined in order to truly make resilient the application of your crown jewels to your business objective. There are, it needs to be a all source risk evaluation. And then, you know, through the expenditure of that exercise, you can prioritize where the most sort of fundamental Achilles heel points are, and then start the journey of improvements.
2: Jeff, I wanna thank you for these insights and conversation to continue. As some high-level takeaways, uh, the time to prepare for a crisis is ahead of the crisis, not during the crisis. There's a multitude of hands that are required, but ownership is required. And so having that sort of single or dual point of coordination Jeff has led a number of tabletop exercises on behalf of the city where takes them through various scenarios and technique that is no less effective inside public companies as well as privately owned companies, uh, staying on top of the threat environment and understanding what might be at risk uh, within your organization. Uh, Jeff, we didn't have time to address this, but it's been implicit in your comments, which is Uh, the chain of protection is only as strong as the weakest link and so understanding vulnerabilities through the supply chain and who has access and what you're importing in terms of software and things like that. Um, prevention obviously first and foremost, but early detection, response and the ability to continue on even if, uh, even if targeted. So thank you in advance and we look forward to your continued uh, service in the broad public interest. Thank you, David.
1: David Lawrence is RAIN Founder and Chief Collaboration Officer. Jeff Brown is the head of New York City Cyber Command. RAIN offers custom cyber risk monitoring, including tools to efficiently screen and analyze emerging risks for your business. Find out how RAIN can help you power your business to success. Visit RAINNETWORK.com. That's R A N E, network.com. I'm Emily Donahue, thanks for listening.